This is the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Yo, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson, and this is episode one, season one, episode one. We're talking with the top 52 smallmouth bass anglers in the country. Now, I know there's more than 52, okay, but 52 just works out because there's 52 weeks in a year, and each season is one year. And so we generated a list just kind of taking notes and, and... observing people's success and I'm reaching out to anglers that I would consider some serious smallmouth anglers that know how to catch them. And so every week, Tuesdays, 6 PM Eastern, I'll be uploading a new podcast to all the podcast platforms. And then of course on my YouTube channel as well. And we have a, we have a, a really awesome list of future guests that we're going to be bringing on this podcast. So I am excited to be able to do that to our listeners and our viewers here on YouTube as well. Because I think it's important. I think it's important to go a little bit further than just baits and techniques. I mean, that is important. And there's going to be a lot of good tips when it comes to that. But I want to get inside their head. What are their, what's their thought process when they're out on the water? What makes them so successful? And our first guest, I think it's a great choice to be the first guest. Scott Dobson uh, dominates smallmouth bass fisheries. Well, he's a good stick anywhere in the country. When it comes to smallmouth, he knows how to catch them. I'm really excited to bring him on here in just a few moments and get inside his head. What makes Scott so successful? Before we bring Scott on, I want to talk about the real shot. What's the real shot? Well, it's a tackle store in Northeast Wisconsin, and it's quickly becoming the go-to shop for bass anglers across the country. With a vast selection of the most sought-after brands in fishing, known to be hard to find. Okay, they have a huge selection of Kitex, Mega Bass, Damiki, Yozuri, Evergreen, you name it. They provide anglers with a very specialized assortment. While their staple brands like VMC, Rapala, Berkeley ensure that you're always going to find your favorites. From high-end rods to an outstanding terminal tackle selection and everything in between, the Real Shots website is going to have something that you need. So they're actually offering a discount code to listeners of this podcast. So you head on over to therealshot.com and everything will be in the show notes as well. And use code SMALLMOUTHCRUSH15, one word, SMALLMOUTHCRUSH15, and take 15% off your order. The Real Shots Easy to Shop website will make selecting the exact product you need super easy. So head on over to The Real Shot, use the code SMALLMOUTHCRUSH15, and take advantage of that discount. It's a big deal, guys. It's a real big deal. Every time you go there and you use that affiliate link here in the show notes, your help supporting this podcast, the Smallmouth Crush band, brand, and I certainly appreciate that. All right, we guys, are we ready? Are we ready for our first guest? 
of the Small Mouth Crush podcast? Me too. Let's bring him on. All right, here he is, Scott Dobson. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited to talk big small mouth with you, a small mouth specialist. A lot of hardware behind you there, dude. Oh, yeah, those are the good trophies. Yes, yes. Crazy. So you know how to catch some smallmouth, and I really want to get inside your head for this podcast and try to get a few nuggets, right? Right. I want to know what, what goes on in that head of yours that, that allows you to, to, to go travel all over the country and put these big smallmouth in the boat. And I'm super excited to learn, you know, some of the information that, that you that you want to share with us tonight. If you could, could you give us a little bit of background about yourself? I, I'm assuming you're up in Michigan right now, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you're currently at as far as what your plans are for 2021 and really why you love fishing for smallmouth so much. Well, I'm, I guess, fortunately, living in Michigan, uh, I guess uh, I'm 47. I live in Clarkston, Michigan, which is about 45 minutes north of Detroit. Uh, it takes me 45 minutes to get to Lake St. Clair. It takes nice. me an hour to get to the Lower Detroit River. Okay. I can go about an hour and 20 minutes to the north. I can get to Saginaw Bay. I can drive three miles up to the Inland Lakes up in the northern lower Michigan. There's some fantastic smallmouth fishing up there, Burton Mullet Lakes, Charlevoix, Travers Bay. So surrounded by incredible smallmouth fishing. But right. about me, like growing up, I grew up in trenton uh which is down at the lower detroit river and we finished off the 2020 northern toyota series on the lower detroit river after we had back-to-back events on sandusky which was just I, did you fish this year i didn't see out I, there. I, I did not i did not fish the flw this year okay so you missed out on the epic lake erie slam down rough water windy every single day um, but I grew up in Trenton, which is which is on the Lower Detroit River. It's where Detroit River dumps into Lake Erie. And growing up there, uh, I fished for largemouth. I my parents had a boat at Humbug Marina, which is right at the mouth of the Detroit River, and it was a bigger boat. It's like a thirty-five foot boat, so it didn't have a trolling motor. I didn't have a, a boat to fish out of, so it was all bank fishing, uh, hitting canals, et cetera, et cetera. And I did catch some smallmouth and. I went away to school at Michigan State. Uh, I met um, my best friend, Kevin Long. Uh, he had a stint on the tour for a while. He's a guide on Lake Okeechobee in the wintertime now. Then he guides up here for smallmouth in, in Muskegon, Lake St. Clair. So he and I met in 95 on Lake, uh, at Michigan State, and we started making trips to Lake St. Clair. And that's when I got infatuated with smallmouth fishing. And then just over the years, I mean, from being around here, getting into the tournament scene, the clear water, just being on, on the Great Lakes, more than not, more on the big water, Great Lakes, than being on inland lakes in Michigan with smallmouth. I just develop a fascination to catch smallmouth. And I don't know that I'm any better than anyone else, but I think one thing that probably sets me apart from a lot of other people, and I'll kind of like relate this to like Art Ferguson, we're kind of spastic. We, we have very short attention spans when it comes to smallmouth so it's like the more you move around it seems like sometimes the better you do and i i do that on the great lakes i do it on on the rivers attached to the great lakes and i do that all the way from st lawrence all the way over to green bay and i really think with smallmouth if you move around enough you're going to find them you're going to find them biting and you know obviously so that's like one thing that i do that I see a lot of people that don't do. They get so ingrained in their head that they got to sit 
on, on some fish and make them bite, make them bite, and then you end up wasting the whole day and you accomplish nothing and you could ultimately move around and do 80 different things in a day and find active fish. So you're pretty much a, a power fisherman, would you say, when, you, when, you, when you're looking for smallmouth or when you're in that situation, you don't sit in one area if you're not around active fish? Yeah, so any time I go and practice, you know, for an event, and I guess it, it, it's, easy, it's easy to say, like, oh, you can go out and catch them here on Lake St. Clair and the Detroit River, just like how you go up to St. Lawrence River a lot, right? Mm-hmm. You know what to do. You know where they're going to be. You, get, you know what's going on. And, and me, I, I don't have a very longevity of time spent on the St. Lawrence River, uh, we had an event way, way back in the day in like 2003, and I led that event. I was really young. I led that event going into day three. That's when it was a four-day event back when in the Everstart days. And um, the wind blew out of the east the night before into the morning, and it blew all the water out of this bay I was fishing. It blew all the warm water out. The water dropped like 15 degrees overnight. The fish split, and it ended up going from first to 14th place. And, and I'm like, and that's when I was young. I'm like, you idiot. You, you stayed in that bay. You never left. When you could see the bottom in 18 feet of water, there was no fish in there anywhere. And all the people that fished over on the other side around Grenadier and Fox, that's where the tournament was won. Art Ferguson did really good in that tournament. Uh, Zona did good in that tournament. And like Neil Vanderbees and the guys that were accomplished smallmouth fishermen, they just said they moved around. They found the fish. And me being young, not knowing how to move around, and I was like laser focused on what I wanted to do and how I was going to catch them and win that tournament because I had it all to myself, all this water. And the fish left, and you don't stick around if there's no fish there. You just got to go. So from that point on, as the years progress and coming into you know where I am now, I just you only have to catch five fish on a tournament day. You know, unless you're fishing, you know, an MLF style format where it's catch away and release, you're really out there looking for five big fish. So the way I attack a practice is I go out there, put a jerk bait in my hand, put a spinner bait in my hand, rattle, anything I can burn water. I just want to see fish. I want to see fish react to my bait. I don't necessarily want to catch them. And then when it comes down to the tournament time, that's when I'll pick apart and figure out how to catch them. You know, if I eat a jerk bait, great. Um, I'm going to lose some fish on a jerk bait. I know that going into it, but I can get more fish to react, smallmouth to react to a jerk bait than any other bait out there. Um, if I have to throw a swim bait, I'll throw a swim bait. If I slow down and throw a drop shot, I'll slow down and fish a drop shot. But I do not like fishing a drop shot. I hate it. Right. It drives me longer. So I do like to cover water. I do like to catch them on a jerk bait. That's my number one go to bait. Any place where the water is, you know, five, six foot clarity. It's, it's a jerk bait. And I won't always catch them on it, but I'll see them on it. And going back to 2016, and, and when I said, that's about the time I, I, I went back to the St. Lawrence River. And uh, I had about a day and a half of practice. Uh, I got up there late. Uh, actually, I didn't have a boat. My boat was down. And my buddy's like, the co-angler that I was traveling with, is like, hey, we can take my 620. I'm like, oh, 620? I can go anywhere I want. Well, we went out and we launched in Henderson Bay and we we're going to run out to the island. So I'm like, we have this big 620. We can go anywhere. Well, you can't go anywhere in a 620. I mean, you can go, but it doesn't mean you're going to be able to fish. So we whipped it around uh, after being out there for like an hour and a half. And we ran back into the St. Lawrence River. And I just put a jerk bait in my hand and started moving around, 
looking at stuff and that's how I, I found the winning pattern, which I didn't know was a winning pattern. So I really didn't know what was there. And I just ran as much as I could, just trying to see fish, what they look like, kind of gauge them without really catching them. And when I ended up winning that tournament, uh, I caught fish the first day, a couple of fish in the river, ran out to the lake, out to the Duck Islands, came back into the river, caught three or four more fish. The second day we were locked into the river. I got to expand on my pattern, which was ultimately a, a one-two punch. It was a jerk bait, jerk bait, drop shot, spy bait, jerk bait. You know, that was the main three baits that I caught them on. But on the final day, um, they got off the jerk bait. Oddly enough, they would eat a drop shot, but they were just pulling the worm off. They weren't really eating it. And uh, that's when I pulled the spy bait out. It was flat, calm, slick, sunny, and the spy bait got the key fish to to win that tournament and uh and it took a long time to win a big tournament that was like my first big win where i feel like i actually accomplished something like I had wins and bfls on the great lakes on st Clair and the detroit river but to get a win outside of your home waters you know that was an amazing moment um sure. and that fishery over there is incredible and i love that fishery and it doesn't set up exactly like the St. Clair River, the Detroit River, but it has some similarities. And uh, I have another fondness for moving water, uh, current. I like current. I love current. It's I like fishing shallow. I like moving around. I like to physically see the fish, and I can see how they can react to a bait, and then I know how to present whatever, whether it's a jerk bait, a swim bait, a spy bait, or spinner bait. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was a special win. Um, I don't know where I where we we're going with what we we're talking about. I think we we're talking about how I find them. I don't know. I just, you just make a lot of mistakes and I've, I've been through my fair share of mistakes and I don't particularly like fishing deep. If I can catch them shallow, I'm going to go shallow. And I, I would say that probably all my wins in, in BFLs and uh, like the win on the Detroit river this year, everything has been under like, 15 feet of water or shallower hmm. with the tournament that i just won on the lower detroit river was kind of more of an of an exception because we got locked into the detroit river we were stuck in the river for two days and the fish were just kind of deeper this year in the detroit river so it was more of like a slow roll in a spinner bay slow roll in an a-rig and a little bit deeper current but i did catch fish that i did see and i did catch fish that were shallow even in you know 25 mile an hour winds but uh yeah so Shallow, shallow, shallow. Smallmouth are always shallow. I don't care where you are, anywhere in the Great Lakes, any place, any of these, you know, Midwest lakes, there's always fish shallow. Always. Yeah, and I mean, they pretty, pretty much they eat if you throw the right thing in front of them. There's really not a, a wrong thing you can, I mean, they still eat the tube. They love the tube. The tube is still one of the best smallmouth baits out there. You know, everyone says, oh, I got to throw a never, got to throw a never. Everybody catches fish. There's no doubt about it. But the tube is still one of the best soft plastic baits out there you can throw for a small. Awesome. So Scott, sounds like, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned as far as ways to target smallmouth spy baiting, that's a technique that, you know, I ask a lot of our guests on this podcast, what is their biggest weakness when it comes to smallmouth fishing? And believe it or not, for me, it's the spy bait only because I don't throw it enough. And I know it's an effective bait. Can you walk me through? Cause it just intrigues me guys that, have that bait dialed in, uh, you know, a typical setup and where you're normally going to be throwing that bait. And is it something you use on a regular basis? So 
you asked about the spy bait and and it's kind of like a love-hate relationship so you got to know when when to throw it and it's not so much a bait that you can take out and practice if you're practicing for a big event uh a lot of these events that we practice for well with the toyota series you can practice as long as you want that's almost a detriment because you can get behind the developing pattern for the tournament but if you only have two days of practice you the spy bait takes a it's a big commitment it's a commitment bait it takes a lot of time to to make the cast count it down to the desired depth and then wind it in an average cast it might take seems like it takes an eternity sure. it doesn't take that long but you cast it out you count it down you know 10 15 18 feet whatever wherever those fish are so um and I guess we'll, we'll get into that, but we'll take a step back and we'll get into what rods and reels I throw the baits on. So um, we'll start out with, I mean, there's a lot of different spy baits now. I throw Duo. Uh, Duo is one of my, my main hard bait sponsors. They make the best spy bait out there on the market. Undoubtedly, everyone knows that. So there's the Alpha 72. They got a, an Alpha 62. Those are wider profile spy baits. They're a little thicker across the top to bottom. And then they got the uh, Spybait 80, the Spybait 80 G-Fix, which is uh, has a little bit more weight on the 80 millimeter. There's the uh, Spybait 90, and they just came out last year with the uh, Spybait 100, mm-hmm. which is 100. Uh, so it's like a 100 millimeter jerk bait. It's 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 a big long profile bait. Uh, the uh, the 100 and the 90, I typically throw that on a 7.4 crankbait rod, baitcaster, hmm. 6.2 to 1, or like a 5.5 five to 1 crankbait reel, 8 or 10 pound test, throw it on a crankbait rod, I want to bomb it out there as far as I can, open water, now we're talking open water fishing, if you're targeting current seams and stuff like that, you're going you're gonna to throw you know, a spinning rod, you can make more accurate casts, but if you're bombing on open water, and it's the spy bait 90 or the 100. I personally throw it on a crankbait rod, and I treat it just like a crankbait. When a fish eats that thing, I load into them as hard as I can. I want to bend that rod, parabolic rod. I want to fold it over. I want to plant those hooks. I think a lot of people get this conception they've had that the spy bait's like a finesse bait, which it is. It's got a lot of finesse attributes to it, the way the blades spin, the slow shimmer back and forth. So it is kind of a finesse presentation, but... You need to hammer that fish when he eats that bait. You got to crack his head. I mean, you got to really. I mean, I, I've I jack him. I jack him just as hard as I do with a jerk bait. Wow. Yeah, crack. I mean, I crack him. You're not going to break the line if you got like a parabolic rod. You're not going to. You're not going to break your line. On the bait caster, I'm throwing straight floral, um, all floral, front to back, no braid. On the spinning rod setup, I'm running about a thirty foot fluorocarbon leader to braid and i throw the the spinning rod that i throw is on, on well on the bait caster it's the dobbins uh oh it's the seven seven sixty four cb and then they got a a seven forty two champion extreme bait caster which really isn't a crankbait rod but it's got a nice parabolic action on the spinning rod i throw a, a 742 extreme spinning rod that's a seven foot four inch two power so it's it's like a drop shot rod long rod really set into them um thin diameter braid it, a lot of people throw 10 pound braid 10 pound test like i think that's 10 what do we call it 10 four 
mm-hmm. 10 pound test, four pound diameter. There's a step down. There's like an eight pound test, which is even thinner. And that gets that, that fluorocarbon to sink a little bit quicker. I mean, it gets the braid to, it gets the braid to sink quicker. And then you got your fluorocarbon in front of it. So you kind of get, it's sinking, the braid's sinking faster, but it's still floating up. And then your fluorocarbon's dropping down. So it kind of does like one of these deals. Kind of floats up, comes down, goes down. Sure. Uh, Getting a little technical, but it's kind of important because if you use too short of a fluorocarbon leader, I think that's a detriment. I think that actually hurts you. So you want to have at least 25 to 30 foot on your fluorocarbon leader. Count it down to your desired depth. If you're fishing on Lake St. Clair, I mean, we throw a lot of spy baits on Lake St. Clair. And there's spy baits can be thrown a zillion different ways. But out here on Lake St. Clair, 18, 19 feet of water is where it really shines in the dog days of summer, the flat, calm, sunny days, pressured fish. Count it down to about a foot and a half, two foot over the bottom. So if you're in 19, 20 feet of water, you're going to count it down to about 15, 16 seconds depending on which spy bait you're throwing, they all fall at a little different rate of speed. Uh, and it depends on the wave action as well. I uh, count it down to about a foot and a half to two feet on the bottom and just do your slow, widen cadence, wind it in. 90% of the time, they're going to bite it. As soon as you crank that reel handle over and that bait starts moving forward, they're going to eat it within that first five or six feet, or they're going to eat it right as you start to come up. It makes us climb back to the boat, similar to a crankbait. Uh, one thing that I do a lot that maybe a lot of people don't really pay attention to, you, you, you start counting your head on your countdown, and you might get carried away. You might be counting too fast. You might be counting too slow. But I really pay attention. I look at my my Lorenz graph. I look at I got the seconds on there on, on the clock, you know. So I got the hour, minute, and I got the seconds. So I cast out. I, let, I see it hit the water. The first cast, I let it fall all the way to the bottom. If I'm fishing in 18, 19 feet of water, it's the water. I watch it when my line goes slack, boom, hit the bottom, figure out how long that took, how many seconds. And then I know I want to adjust from, from there, working my way up. So if I want to get a couple feet off the bottom, I knock off a couple seconds. That's my countdown. Uh, this is really, really technical stuff here. Uh, it's not, it, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it sounds technical. And, and, and I learned from trial and error. And I had the same learning curve that I think a lot of people have. I think they... They throw it a few times and they, they put it away because they're not catching fish on it. Right. It's a great bait. It doesn't mean that they're always going to bite it because there's baits out there that are better. You know, jerk bait can be a better presentation. Uh, swim bait can be a better presentation and they can be more effective. But when they're on that spy bait, they're on it and they want it. They'll choke it right down to their gullet. So, so dual realis, they make a lot of different styles then of a spy bait. You know, if you could pick if someone's just starting out, where would you suggest, you know, as far as what what size or, or style to start out with? I would stick in the uh, the Spybait 90, and I would just pick a, a couple colors. I'd pick a color that had a little bit of, sh- little bit of flash. Uh, like there's a, the, the gill. There's a, a gill color out there that's got some shimmy. If you're in per- it just depends on what your bait fish is. So mm-hmm. two rules of thumb smallmouth fishing and colors for me translucent colors and and flash i mean there's really no envy. that's the two spectrums right, right. Sometimes they want flash sometimes they want translucent uh and same thing goes with jerk baits you know 
I just kind of experiment on the given day. So get a couple of colors that have that are translucent colors where you can see through the bait. Purple's always a good option to have a little bit of purple in your spy bait, a little flat, a little dash of chartreuse. I mean, that's almost a no-brainer uh, for Great Lakes smallmouth. And then get a couple colors out there that have have some some flash to them. Sure. sure. What what size are you throwing most of the time yourself? The nine. I, I like to throw the ninety. Uh, okay. I throw the ninety a lot, um, and I throw the eighty G fix. Those are probably my two go to. Now the hundred just came out, and that just came out uh, early part of well, still this year, but I guess I came out in March or April. I got some in my hands. I caught a lot of fish on the spy bait this year, but it it has to be the right situation for it to shine in the tournament. We had, we had a lot of tournaments where it was just un, ungodly rough. Um, the smallmouth tournaments we had this year, the wind, it just blew like crazy up here on the Great Lakes. It was, it was awful. It was, sure. So it wasn't, the, it wasn't the right bait to throw. But uh, I did catch some, uh, some good fish uh, out on Lake St. Clair on the 100. I need more time to explore with that spy bait 100. And I think that thing is going gonna, to gonna, creep up somewhere is going to win a tournament because you can bomb it out long ways. It sinks pretty fast. It still has that same effect, that side to side rocket action. The blades spin fantastic. They got some fantastic colors. There's, I mean, there's probably 40 or 50 colors out there in the spy bait. It's, there's a big lineup of colors. So I stick to colors that I can see through and I have some flashy colors. Uh, there's a a, a, ba- a newer color out there in the spy bait lineup. It's called River Bait, and that's a that's a flashy bait. It's got a lot of a lot of flash to it, and I've, I've been catching a lot of fish in that color in the Duo Realist Jerk Bait. So I got some in the spy bait. I haven't had a chance to use it yet. I know it's going to work. Uh, it's a you know anytime there's going to be alewife or shad around, it's going it's going to sure. sure. Now, is that technique, uh, is that something you can start throwing, say, pre-spawn all the way through summer into the fall, or is there a specific time that's better? You know, so I always thought, and for me, it was, the spy bait was a bait that I, I threw a lot when the fishing were pressured, the, you know, post-spawn through early fall, that's when I always thought it was it was the best time to throw it. Now, there was six or seven, eight years ago, uh, we fished a, an individual tournament up on Saginaw Bay was the the opener on Saginaw Bay. The water was cold. The fish were spawning, but it was like one of those situations where the fish just came up to spawn, but if you got too close to them, they'd, they'd swim off. They'd do like that 40-yard circle, and you'd see them out there looming around, and they would kind of come back, and then they would go from black, and they'd get kind of like really ghost-colored and blonde, and then they'd like disappear. And you really, you can, you know, they're, they're around there and you know that they want to get back on that bed, but you really, they, they go, they go ghost on you. Sure. And, uh, my team partner that I fished team tournaments with, uh, Kyle Green, he's a, probably one of the best smallmouth fishermen around. He and I have been fishing together forever. He's a great, that guy with a, a two bait is phenomenal, but he caught him on a spy bait that day. And we were competing against each other because it was just a singles event. And he came in, he's like, I'm like, how much weight are you guys? I'm like, I got about 24. I'm like, what are you guys? Like, I got like 25, I don't know, maybe 26. It's like, I caught them all right next to you. I'm like, I'm what? He's like, spy bait. He's like, I throw that spy bait over the bed. And the water was cold. It was 55 degrees. And he said, I'd wind that thing in. He said, they would absolutely crush that thing. And they had it down in the crunchers and they choked it. 
and it, it works when the water's under 60 degrees in, in the fall as well. So you can catch them at any time. Anytime they're, you know, they want to get on that bait, they just something about that. The blades turning and that rocking action. And, it, you know, it falls. When it falls, it, it shimmies down, kind of like a Senko. So the bait has a lot of attributes. It's an incredible bait. And I think we're still learning as, as tournament anglers and as anglers what the potential is of that bait. I mean, not just for smallmouth, but for largemouth and for spotted bass. So I'm excited to throw it down on, uh, on Smith Lake next year for the tour. So it's, uh, I'm definitely going to have a whole bunch out in the boat. Sure. Now there's a lot of questions I want to get to, but I, I want to, I want to just circle back early in this podcast. You mentioned the, you know, fish in the tube and sounds like you have a lot of confidence over that. You know, there's a lot of finesse baits that are out there. The tubes have been around forever. Why do you feel that's a, a bait that you you would continue to throw on a regular basis? Well, because you don't have to go out and buy a bunch of Ned rigs, first of all. Uh, the uh, the tube, I, I had this kind I actually talked to Art Ferguson. You know, Art has been around since Smallmouth had been around. The guy's like, mm-hmm. he's almost older than Steve Clapper. He's not older than Steve, Steve Clapper, but... Uh, I think Art's like probably been guiding on the Great Lakes for 27 years or something. He's probably caught more smallmouth on a tube than anyone in in the country. Uh, the tube, I mean, it's it's a crawfish, imitates a bait fish. It's on the bottom. Smallmouth are always on the bottom generally unless they're suspending. Uh, it's just time tested. Is true. It's a crayfish, a goby, shad, alewife. And it's just this thing. the profile, the size, it's just appealing to smallmouth. It's, it just is. And then it's really, it's, it's, yeah, it's a finesse bait, but you can crack a tube. You know, you, you talk to a lot of people that crack a tube. I wasn't a tube cracker. Um, that just wasn't my gig. I just never really did that. Sure. I started doing it this year and um, I caught a couple of key fish on the Detroit River uh, cracking a tube. And that helped me win. Actually, on the final day of that Toyota series on the Detroit River, um, I, I, a tube cracked a fish, like a three-quarter ounce tube, I mean, on a bait cast. I was like, and that thing absolutely, I mean, it, it pretty much ripped the rod out of my hand. Sure. It wasn't a big fish, but it was like a four-and-a-half-pounder, and it was like, I think it was my first cast of the morning on the final day. I caught that fish, and I ended up weighing that fish, and it, it helped me win that tournament, but... Cracking a tube, uh, tube on the bottom slow. Uh, it's a great, it's a great bait when they're not really on. You know, you throw a drop shot out there, and a lot of guys will. Oh, I'm going to catch that fish on a drop shot. No, they'll, they'll whip a drop shot out there, and the fish will swim away. And you throw a net rig over there, and something about that that they don't like is it falls and maybe it stands up, and or they've seen a zillion of them. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking these tales and I'm thinking back to the St. Lawrence River about a fishery that is a phenomenal fishery, but I really think it's getting a lot of pressure. I mean, I think those fish see a lot of baits out there. Um, and I, you know, from the years that I've been fishing there, uh, it just seems like every time I go there, it gets tougher and tougher and tougher. I th- I've been catching a lot of fish there on a tube. And uh, when I, well, I didn't win. We were there last year. No. We didn't go there this year. Last year. Oh, the Messina? I'm trying. I'm like, I'm losing track. Yeah, we went on yeah. Messina. Yep. So, yeah, we ran out of 
uh, Vaughn won that tournament. Did you fish that one? I did, yes. Yep. Yes. I ran up towards Clayton Wolf Island all three days, and I had no one around me except for Adrian Avina. Sure. <laughs> I had to give him a ride back 93 miles <laughs> down the Sailor's River uh-huh. that day, too. Uh, but I caught, every day I caught key fish on a tube. They, 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 I caught them on a drop shot, too, but uh, I was throwing a little a small tube, two-and-a-half-inch little Berkeley power tube. It's like a little sleeper bait out there. I'm sure a lot of people throw it, but I throw it on a, on a number two-odd hook uh, football head. It's a little small. That owner makes one. Gotten Gossip got makes one. It's a nice, nice jig head that slides up into that power bait tube, and uh, I caught key fish on that bait. I'm sure I probably could have caught them on a three-inch tube or three-and-a-half-inch tube, but mm-hmm. they're eating that. <laughs> they're eating that a little once so I kept throwing it. And I throw that a lot up here on Lake St. Clair. I throw it on Lake Erie. It's, it's a, another fantastic, it's an incredible bait to throw on, on the bed. Um, and the cool thing about, you know, fishing a tube in a, in a tournament situation is you don't have to mess around with all that stupid sinker getting wrapped up in the net or like sure. wrapping up on the line and all that line twist you get when you're fishing a drop shot. That one's like back, back, re, you know, their drives go on and you reel it in and, your fluorocarbon's all like wound up and it's it's a disaster. Drop shot's a phenomenal bait. It catches a ton of smallmouth. Guys love it. Guys live and die by it. And they cut and they they do well in it and they win tournaments. But the tube is a fantastic bait. It's gotta be on your deck. It's gotta be right there next to the swim bait, the jerk bait, the spy bait. It's gotta be there. I agree. Undoubtedly. And there's two colors to throw. Green pumpkin, purple and gold flake, and the other color is smoke purple. That's it. I mean, those are your confidence colors. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. What else is it? Green pumpkin, black flake. Well, green pumpkin, copper. Well, that's the same as green pumpkin, gold, purple. I so guess the fish when they look at them together, it looks like. What copper. about dark melon? You got to put that on the list. Well, it's just a variation. A variation of green, of pumpkin, green yeah. pumpkin, yes. Where it really shines is as late summer turns into early fall. Something about the tube. When they get on the tube, they flat get on it in the fall. It's like drop shot, drop shot, swim bait, and then they get on a tube. They still eat a swim bait, and they eat a tube right down to the won't eat anymore in the fall it's a i mean we've caught more big fish in the fall probably than you know i mean sure you catch them on the a-rig and uh i love throwing the a-rig and the silver buddy but the tube catches giants giants right on if if you could pick one place to fish for smallmouth what what is your favorite place and then where do you think the best smallmouth fishing is located Wow, that was a that was a two part question. Yes. Where, and it could be fa- the same place, maybe. But the like like your favorite, if you could pick and choose, this is a great you know whether it be the the way the fish set up, the environment, you know, maybe it's just the beauty of the. I mean, one one awesome thing about smallmouth fishing is you're surrounded normally by yeah. amazing landscapes and different situations that most people don't get a chance to experience. Yeah. 
And then, of course, where do you think the best fishing is located? Me personally, like, I can't say that my favorite place to fish is here on, on St. Clair or the Detroit Road because it's my home and it is a phenomenal fishery and it, it gets a lot of pressure and it puts out fish. It's a fish factory and there's always huge bags. Um, I don't know how many 28 pound bags we caught this fall just out fun fishing, you know, taking people out. I took out uh, Mark Pizer from Trick Step, my title sponsor. He, and we had fished together before. I mean, you've got to come up in the fall, and i got to take you and someone else. So he, he brought one of his employees from work. And, uh, and we, we had a marginal day. Mm-hmm. We caught like 25 fish or something. We had like 2870 or something. And I was like disappointed. He was ecstatic. Sure. You know, we, we had two over six. It, it was incredible. So St. Coast is great. It's phenomenal. But it can be, it, it can be frustrating, too. I mean, it, we're not catching the numbers out there like we used to. I mean, the hundred fish days, people talk about them, and it still happens. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. I mean, we used to go out there, and you could have a hundred fish day in the middle of the summer. That doesn't really happen that much. So, for beauty and like a favorite place that I'd like to go, that I'd love to, you know, like I like to take my son and take people to a jar or tell people that you need to go. It would be it would be the St. Lawrence River, and it would be anywhere from Messina all the way out to the Ducks, Galoo, down to Henderson Bay. Sure. Beautiful. I mean, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, you can get out on the big water. Uh, you can catch big fish out there in the lake. If it's rough, you can go fish the wider. Uh, you can come down to the Narrows and fish in the Narrows, get out of the wind. You can fish all around those islands, beautiful scenery. You can take your wife. You can take your girlfriend. Uh, there's beautiful things to see. Allianz, it's gorgeous. The water's clear. There's mm-hmm. spawn everywhere except for the day you want to win a tournament, you call out a two-pounder so you can win and you lose by a half a pound. Uh, uh, that's my favorite place to fish, but the place that uh, I think really puts out uh, big, consistent, like, big fish, doesn't get a lot of pressure, is, is Lake Huron. Lake Huron, when I say that, it's Saginaw Bay, it's probably Georgian Bay, it's, a, it's an untapped fishery. It's terribly rough water. It seems like it's always rough. It's shallow. There's a lot of stuff to hit out there. Um, it's got giants. That's the place to go and catch pigs. Yeah, I, I, I've never been up that way, but I look at a map. Is it Georgian Bay or whatever? I mean, it looks it looks like it's 20 times the size of the St. Lawrence area and with islands and stuff. And it, it always intrigues me. I think I'll make a trip there one day. Saginaw Bay is way down on the bottom of, of Lake Huron down down here. We have, in Michigan we, we use our hand, it's our little map. So yep. St. Clair, Lake Huron, and it's a big it's a big body of water. Georgian Bay, the St. Mary's River, where uh, Superior dumps into the St. Mary's River. St. Mary's River dumps into a series of islands. There's a big island called Drummond Island. There's a place called Lachino Islands. Uh, it's Every time I go up there, I just kind of just kind of just chip away at it, and I keep on piecing more and more together. And I it has untapped potential. I mean, there's got to be giants up there. Sure. Got to be. I mean, I haven't found them yet, but it's like to me, it's it's new. And any place that's new for smallmouth fishing is exciting. And if it's clear water and it's got current, I'm all in. And I can't get up there as much as I want to, but that's <laughs> that's a place I think is an incredible place and puts up a ton of numbers. Sure. What would be your 
what would you consider your, I guess, favorite time of year to target smallmouth? And then what technique? Like if you could just, you, you mentioned a little bit of blade baiting. Obviously, you love spy baits, tubes, drop shot. Well, maybe. What would be like just a, a awesome way to catch them, a, a way that you just look forward to going down the water and catching those fish that way? I'll probably go back to coronacation. And coronacation is a, a term that I came up with in March when uh, we were three events in on, on the FLW Tour, which is now renamed to the MLF Big Five. Um, we had coronacation. So we were at, where were we? Lake Martin. We are at Lake Martin. We didn't know if that term was going to go on. So we're all down there expecting to fish a tournament. We ended up fishing the tournament. We had to wear masks and social distance and all this and that. And uh, I came home from that event. My son, he was 15 at the time, and they shut schools down. And the water uh, thawed out early uh, this year, so I nothing was going on. Uh, the whole state of Michigan was shut down, but we could fish. So we went fishing every day. Right. And he and I, we got to spend more time together fishing on the water and on the big water than, I mean, well, I mean, he's 15, so he's young, but we, we probably fished out there like 15 consecutive days in a row. Sure. And we clubbed them and, uh, big ones. Like he caught fives and six pounders and fantastic, but slow rolling a swim bait on the bottom when the water's cold, like 45, 46 degrees. Oh, 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 oh. That, that does it for you, huh? That does it for me. That does it. And it, it, we can do that again in late in the fall, uh, uh, grinding that, that uh, swim bait on the bottom and a silver buddy. Those are like two things that excite me. Um, and I throw a small, small swim bait early in the year and late in the year, like a real small swim bait, like a three inch 2.8 or like a three, three. Okay. Uh, and dual realis came out with the, fantastic uh swim bait this year you don't see a lot about it but you'll start seeing guys throwing it a lot more for smallmouth they got some really good colors it's got a nice nice body it's got a nice tail bootleg tail it's got a nice little shimmer to it it's a great swim bait for throwing it on a rigs and it's another great swim bait for when you're grinding on the bottom on a little football head. that does it for me swim baiting silver buddying Wow. That is a, the best part. Some really good tips when it comes to to smallmouth fishing. It sounds like you you you've been everywhere. That as far as the Great Lakes, is there is there an area that you don't get to fish as often as you like? Have you been up to Lake Superior? I know you mentioned a lot of inland lakes in Michigan, but man, there's some there's some great inland lakes across Minnesota, Wisconsin, even even parts of upstate New York. Uh, where are some places you wish you could spend some more time besides Lake Huron and, and a place like that? All right, so I did catch a smallmouth in every Great Lake. That has been accomplished. And that's not that easy to do because, like, right. getting up to Lake Superior, uh, that was a challenge. Like, just to, you know, it's way up there. There's not a lot of places to go. But we, uh, my son and I, one, one of our vacations we took in every summer, late summer, we would go somewhere for a week. And we always took the boat. And we went through the whole St. Mary's River from Lake Huron all the way through. We went through the Sioux Locks and the Bass Boat. Thumbs up. Uh, you can take recreational boats, not through the big giant freighter lock. They have like a small, smaller lock. Mm -hmm. We ran, ran out of the lock and we ran out into uh, 
Lake Superior, and I'm like, oh, there's a big lighthouse, you know. So I stopped by there, threw a tube out, and it was like my first cast. I caught like a five and a half pounder. Wow. It was like a di- like, I don't know where the thing came from. It was like gin clear water. There wasn't anything around. I just threw it up. The thing just swam out on the sand and ate it. There wasn't another fish for like five miles away. Sure. But I want to get to Shaquamanan uh, Bay way over there by uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. That's on the bucket list. I want to go to uh, Lake Oahe mm-hmm. in South, South Dakota. Dakota. I heard that's a untapped God's country for for numbers and you know good quality. Um, I do I do need to get up to Georgian Bay, <clears throat> Lake Simcoe. Yeah. Uh, you know we. I've been there once for a tournament. We had a. They had, they had a tournament called the Canadian Open. The Johnsons know all about it. They've they've done well in it before. Uh, they had and they had a they had a team. They have a team tournament up there every year in October. And 31, 32 pounds, you know, will win. It's got giants, and they do some weird stuff out there to catch them. They they long line double deep jerk baits, and you know, twitch them down thirty. This is what the lore is. I don't know if it's true or not, but sure, uh, sure. that's a really good fishery. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I caught one of my, my bigger smallmouth up there ever. It was just a scotch over seven pounds. Uh, and like, I'm on like, a, I'm like on the quest to catch an eight pounder and that's not easy to do. And <laughs> I don't know. Have you done it? I have I one at, just at eight on uh, the Sturgeon Bay, probably 2010. So I I ask this with every guest, what their personal best smallmouth is. And so yours was seven, what? Oh, no. So that was one of my bigger ones. My biggest was uh, eight pounds, one ounce, which is one ounce bigger than yours. No, just kidding. Oh, (laughs) I was going to say. No, mine's not that big. I I only have a a seven, six. Seven, six. Walk me through. So did you catch it up there? Was that? No, I got it on uh, Burt Lake. Okay. So I cut it. It's that's up up here, the northern lower uh, peninsula, and uh, I was up there with a guy, and we we're fishing for four or five days. And when was it? October? It was October, end of September, October. And you know, I'm like, you know, I'm, I think it's I think it's time to throw a wiggle wart. And I would never throw a wiggle wart for smallmouth in the fall. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, it made sense. So I, I, I this was an OG wig award. Not yeah. this was like the original. Sure, it was that uh, phantom green. I think it, you know, the, mm-hmm. talking about translucent colors and have a little orange on the bill. And because we were, I was seeing fish, and they were sitting on boulders. You'd see like a boulder here, and a boulder over there. There'd be some scattered rock and sand, and these fish would swim off these boulders. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll crash a crankbait into those rocks and they'll react to it. Because they weren't eating a, a jerk bait. They would follow it. And I, mean, I probably wasn't throwing a spy bait then. Uh, but I pulled out that river wart and I caught a six, a five, and a seven six. Wow. <laughs> I was like, on the wiggle wart. Oh, yeah. And I about, I about, yeah, I about cramped my pants. And it was, you know, wiggle wart was on 10 pound tasks. It was on a casting rod. And, this old guy was netting it. He's like 72 years old. God bless his heart. He passed away this year. And he would come up every year and go fishing with me. And he never caught one over six. And uh, he was with me when I caught my, my PB. And then 
think two years ago, it was the last time he came up and he came down with cancer. He passed away a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he caught a seven three out of my boat and he finally caught one over six. Because every year he would come up, all his whoever he brought, they'd always catch the big fish, the six pounder or the six seven, six eight. And he caught a seven three two years ago on Lake St. Clair on a tube. Wow. Now that's a great think, story. I mean maybe this year came on a did not come on a tube. It came on a modified Ned rig. A modified Ned rig. You're gonna have to talk about that. Just a little bit. Give us a little something here. It's the the Magnum Ned cut in half mm. with a Nichols, the big Nichols Ned head. It's sure. like a five eighths ounce big giant mushroom head, and you thread that on there, and it looks like a giant goby. Sure, sure. And you super glue it, and then bomb it out there on a on a casting rod. You know, twelve pound test and. When we caught some big, and I'm not saying like it's like a big deal or anything, but it, we caught some decent fish on it this year. I caught my PB on it, and I'm sure it would have ate a swim bait or would have ate a two, but it's like a current thing. It gets down like in that 20, 25 feet of water with moderate current. You can bomb it out there. It gets down pretty quick. It's the profile. It falls straight. It doesn't spiral down. So sure. it's a neat little deal. I mean, I don't mind sharing it, but it's uh, it catches some bigs. Yeah, so... Uh, a buddy of mine actually mentioned doing that and I've used, so we're talking the, the giant TRD. Yep. So I threw the giant, I threw the giant this spring just cause I wanted to catch a smallmouth on it really, really bad. And it didn't happen, but I could see, I left it. I did not. No, no. See, that's where I messed up. But I, I, I hear, uh, I don't know who I was talking to someone. Sometimes when you talk to too many people, you get too much stuff in your head. Sure. And you get away from doing what you need to do. Like, oh, so-and-so was dragging a six-inch magnum turd with an ounce and a half Carolina rig sinker on Lake Erie. And, oh, man, he did good in that. You know, I'm like, okay, well. Well, yeah. I mean, they do any Carolina rig. They do. I mean, when's the last time you threw a Carolina rig for smallmouth? Not as often as, as we probably should. Yeah, and I won, like, back in the day, like, when I started fishing Erie, I don't know how many Senkos I went through. I, I would Carolina rig a Senko all the time in Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. Drop shot came around. No one throws a tube. No one throws a Carolina rig. Everyone drop shot. Drop shot, drop shot, drop shot, drop shot. Man, drop that's shot. so true. That's so they true. eat it. I mean, they eat the drop shot. No, no doubt about it. They do. What, what What would you consider? I mean, you're an accomplished smallmouth angler. What are some areas of improvement, though? Some areas where, you know, we mentioned the sea rig. You know, maybe you don't throw it enough. Is there any areas that, you know, that you want to try to maybe get better at with whether it be a technique or a specific way to fish for smallmouth that you can think of? I don't crankbait a lot. I don't, you know, it's not that I don't like. I don't. I, I I caught him on a crankbait. I, I won a BFL throwing a crankbait years ago. We used to catch him on a crankbait. I just I don't know why I don't do it. It's so easy to do. Right. I mean, it's you know well known on Lake Saint Clair that guys go out there they just drift around with the wind and flail a crankbait around all day, and you're going to stumble on a school of fish, and you're going to catch giants and. If you don't catch them, you get a bite, they follow it up, you throw a drop shot out or a net rig or a tube, and you catch them. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of guys, you know, when Bassmasters came here uh, this year, they, they caught them cranking. They came here last year, they caught them cranking. Tournaments are always out there, guys catching cranking all the time. I just sometimes I just get away from things and I never go, I never get back to them. Like like sure. Carol Underwood. So, uh, or maybe I just never felt that I liked enough or I didn't feel accomplished or I felt like I could do something better, throw in something else. So, uh, well, one thing I'm looking forward to next year is Lawrence has got their active target coming out, their forward facing sonar. I want to play around with that some more. I really want to know how that's going to evolve and what's truly going to happen from that forward facing technology that's out there now because uh, they're all going to have it, right? Right. Everyone's going to have it. Yeah. How are the fish going to respond to it? Are they going to get tuned in to that transmission of that, that sonar that emits a frequency? And fish are either going to get accustomed to it or they're going to shy away from it. Something's going to happen. We don't know, you know, are you going to get too wrapped up in, in spending time on fish that are down there? You know they're bass, and you're going to get holed up on, on fish that aren't going to bite when you can, you know, like I said earlier when we talked. Go shallow. Can you run around, go shallow, throw a bait at them? I know how they're going to react because I can see them. Mm-hmm. Now, on a forward face of sonar, sure, I guess you can see if they turn to it, and, you know, you can keep on throwing to that fish different baits to get them to bite. Uh, so I think that's going to be a uh, – up and coming and, and we're kind of just like kind of like spy baiting we're all trying to see where it's going to go um but uh it's not so much a technique but i'd like to spend more time learning my electronics because i do favor to go shallow uh i feel more comfortable going shallow i would like to get more in tune with my with my side scan uh with my down scan and i had a couple people jump on my boat and show me some different things but I don't use it enough, and that's that's not just for smallmouth fishing, but going down south on the Tennessee River where you need to be really proficient in using your electronics. That's one of my shortcomings, and that's something I need to work on. Sure, sure. You know what else I need to work on more than anything? What's that? My tackle. Tackle? Like organizing or just oh. keep – you need more tackle? What do you, yeah. what do you mean? It's like every year in December, I, I it's like procrastination 101, like – I was down actually putting stuff on the pegs today. I, all my tackle gets all organized every year. And then I pick and pick and pull for tournaments. And then it all gets put into totes and you fish the whole year. And then you got to bring it all back in, bring it down to the tackle room. You got to take it all out of the totes, hang it back in all the pegs, put it back in all the bins, and you start over again. Sure. It's like getting a new girlfriend. It's nonstop. Not, well, you don't want it to be nonstop. It's oh, uh, top notch, man. Top oh, notch. Okay. I uh, if if I'm not talking fishing or I got to be doing something, and it's normally relabeling bags of jig heads for some reason. You know, I mean, it's that Ooh. precise. Yeah. Label maker, make sure the font's perfect. It's got to be. Yeah, I'm pretty. Are you? Are you being serious or sarcastic? No, for, no, for real. It's bad. It's dialed in. It is. It's bad, but. Have you spend more time? Do you spend more time getting it dialed in than actually using it? Yes. Or do you feel you'd be more productive? No, I should be more. I should be doing other things instead of playing oh. with my tackle. But yeah. it is what it is. I'm proud of it. I enjoy it. Uh, it's part of the whole experience for me, I guess you could say. So uh, I'm just used to it. But I'm like you. I'll have everything 
just laid out perfect. Everything's in the box. You go away, you fish a tournament. And of course, I'm not taking the time to put that away, right? It's laying the back of the boat or here and there. And then I just throw it in the corner, but I can't leave it there. You know, I have to get to it pretty quick, right? make it all look pretty again, just to do it all over. So it's, it's an endless cycle that, that does not make, you know, really any sense. Uh, I, I want to hit uh, real quick because we are running out of time here, but you mentioned the shallow water fishing. I love doing that. It's one of my favorite techniques. You know, you're actually stalking, hunting that fish before it bites. Oftentimes, uh, it intrigued me. You mentioned uh, fishing. You like to you like to see them. Current related fish. I, I'm sure you're talking maybe some shallow flats adjacent to deep water. I had, uh, you know, right where you fish up on the Saint Clair River. I guess a number of years ago, I found a little deal where I could sit up on a flat and watch those fish kind of swim down it and target each fish that, that swim up. Uh, what are some tips on, on the St. You know, Clair or Detroit River that you could give people that are looking to get out there as far as the shallow water game? What are you looking for when you're targeting those fish specifically? Like type of structure, like where do you start? Because there's a lot of shallow water. Yeah, yeah. Uh... It, it you know it varies it varies day to day and 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 obviously when they're spawning I mean you're going to be around sand gravel boulders I mean that's a no brainer you're going to find those fish it's pretty easy I think everyone knows where they're going to go and find spawners mm-hmm. current and and smallmouth on, on the Great Lakes it's not so much a current break like a little you know obviously obvious spots like a little rock jetty that sticks out those are pretty much slam dunks everyone's going to figure that out but some of the bigger current breaks are, are more noticeable to me, but they may not be noticeable to the average angler. So there's there's massive current breaks that exist throughout all these big rivers where it might be a, a mile or two current break. Sure. And you could have, you know, you know, five or ten different hot spots going down that current break. It could be a mile, mile or two long. It could be the whole flat. It could be uh a, a, a back a back a back swirl where you get a current comes down it hits something it shoots across and it comes back up i'm talking like a couple miles um so it's like the main thing i do is i just try to look for the fish <laughs> i just look for them right. you know right. you know it's if you do have the ability where you can run your outboard uh, and look for fish with your trolling mm-hmm. motor sure. uh, assistance uh, a lot of tournaments that we fish you're not allowed to do that. Um, that's against the rules. So uh, if you have the ability to, to look around and see them that way, that's fine. Now, with the advent of, of lithium batteries, I mean, you can pretty much do it all day on high end control motor. You're not going to run out of juice, you know. Mm-hmm. Or you can start up your big motor and run around for a little bit with a power pull charge. You can charge your batteries while you're running around. So, yeah, isn't got- that, by the way, that power pull charge is my first year on it. Isn't it amazing? I don't know. I don't have mine yet. Oh, you don't? Okay. I haven't. I'll have it next week. It'll blow your mind. Peace of mind when it comes to batteries and and keeping them fully charged. Like I I come back from a, a day of fishing, I plug it in. I don't even have to look. I don't even look. I just yeah, wake I up in the morning, unplug it, and I'm gone. Yeah, all my buddies showed me that, so they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm at 85 percent." Like that's great. It's but amazing. One yeah, one more thing. In it, so and I know sure. we're, we're running short of time. So and technology, lithium batteries. You know, there's a hundred different battery companies out there you can get lithiums from mtech lithium they're based out of ohio they make a great battery i think a lot of the lithium batteries out there are great that's what i i use this year 
but the story was paired with uh, a brushless trolling motor. There's only two trolling motors out there that are brushless. Uh, the Garmin Force is one, uh, and the Lowrance Ghost. Now I use the Lowrance Ghost, and I had a story, a quick story, in that Detroit River tournament, stuck in the river for two days with the north wind whipping the current. I was able to hold in the current on spot lock all day. And I would come in, I'd still have 75% juice left of my lithium batteries where guys were going backwards by 10, 30, 11 in the morning. And they couldn't, they couldn't hold because their batteries would die. So I use my trolling motor when I, when, I, when I get up on the flats. I use my trolling motor. I, I cover ground. I look for fish. They get on clean spots more than not. They get on spots where there's a clean spot next to a little piece of cabbage, one piece of cabbage. Anything that they can sit next to. A boulder, a log—it it, it really just depends. I mean, they're creatures by nature where they're—it's kind of odd. They either want to be next to something that they, they can hide in, or they want to be someplace where they can look out, like like they're on on the sidelines of the bench on the football field. And they're looking out on the astroturf, and they're just waiting for a goby or a, a person to by there, and they and they come out. They're not always sitting on the clean spots, but they're close by. So sure. I look for the fish, dirt bait. Call them up, catch them on the jerk bait, catch them on whatever it takes. So Scott, I guess I'd I'd really like to know this this last question as far as uh, baits for smallmouth. If you could only throw one bait, I think I already know the answer. If you could only throw one bait the rest of your life for smallmouth, what would that bait be? Do they make a tube swim bait? <laughs> no. No. So uh, it's the tube. It's a. Yeah, it's a tube. It would be a tube. It'd be a tube or a swim bait. I can't. Well, we got to make a decision here. Could it be a. Yeah, it'd be a tube. It would be. Now, the only question is green pumpkin, purple fleck, and, uh, or, or smoke yeah. purple. I'd be green pumpkin. Gold. Gold purple. Gold purple. It'd be a three and a half inch tube with a. I'd probably have to throw a three eighths. If, it, if I couldn't put any weight into it. Well, you could have any weight. Any weight. But two, I can we, change the weight. You can change the, the weight, but it's only one plastic. Oh. So, are we talking a two and a half, a three, three and a half? It'd be a three Slender. and a half inch. It'd be a three and a half inch tube, and I'd vary between a quarter ounce and a three eighths. Okay, weight. fair enough. Fair enough. Perfect. Yeah, that would. Yeah, that's a no. Yeah, we, we swim, uh, bait, swim bait. Jeez, oh, Pete's. You can almost fish a swim bait like a tube. I got to sound like a lady and be like, I can't make up my mind. <laughs> or I can sound like a fisherman and I, can, I can't make up my mind where I want to go. Right, right. I'm going to start. So this was a lot of good information. I could literally have a conversation with you for hours. I mean, this was, this was great. I'm, I hope our, our listeners appreciate this. What do you think makes you so successful when it comes to smallmouth fishing? Like wh- the top anglers in the country, what is it that makes them who they are? Like, is it because they're obsessed with smallmouth? Is it, you know, because we're from the north and the I, I don't know. Like, what do you think? What what makes you so good at targeting well, these fish on a consistent basis? You know, I don't think that me personally. I don't think I'm that good. Like, well, we're always our own worst critic, right? Like, okay. I mean, just because you know, like I get my my butt handed to me just as often as a lot of you know the guys who are at the top of the game, like. I don't like, I get, I get madder than a hornet when I don't place in the top 10, but sure. I don't know. Like I said earlier, I think 
I like to move around a lot and I have a, you know, it's like anything else in people that are successful, like the Elon Musk and the Bezos of the world. If you have a passion, you have a desire to do well, you're going to do well. If you have that burning desire and I have just the same burning desire to do well fishing for smallmouth that I do fishing for largemouth. And I don't have enough as much experience fishing for largemouth, but there's been a lot of times where I can take, you know, what I learned fishing for smallmouth and parlay it into a good largemouth of that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's work ethic, it's preparation, it's being prepared, it's getting good night's sleep, staying healthy, everything else that goes with it, that if you want to be at the top of your game, you, you, you have to be, you have to have all aspects of your senses going in the right direction. Um, so it's work ethic, work ethic, be prepared, do your time, practice set up to sundown and, and, and make it happen. And, 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 and move with smallmouth, it's all about moving around a lot. I mean, I think that's like one big thing that with smallmouth, there's so many different things can be going on in one given day that you're going to find an active school or you're going to get them to play because they're generally together more often than they're not, you know, so you can get them fired up. And once you get one going, you're going to catch every one of them. Sure. Man. Good stuff. I, I cannot disagree with that answer. That was awesome. So how can people get a hold of you or, or follow you on social media? I know you got a big year on tour coming up. Uh, and I also want to uh, hear about some of your sponsors that are helping you make that happen. Yeah, so uh, you can look look me up on Instagram, Scott Dobson Fishing. I'm on uh, Facebook, Scott Dobson. Uh, I do not have a YouTube channel. And you know, I'm always fond of the guys that put in the time on social media. And social media is huge. It's, it's huge for your sponsors. And uh, it hasn't been a big thing for me. Like my big thing has always been catching smallmouth. A lot of guys are working on social media. I go fun fishing in the fall. That's my my time away. But mm-hmm. I'm, I am trying to build up my Instagram account. Uh, please look me up on uh, Instagram, Scott Dobson Fishing. Uh, I got to get more posts on there. I'm trying to post every day. That's easier said than not. But uh, one big announcement that uh, I kind of leaked out, but uh, I am going to be running to Phoenix next year. I'm going to be running the 21 PHX Phoenix with the Mercury. So that's a big change from where I've been since like 2003. Super excited to get in that boat. That boat rides phenomenal on the big water. And I'm super excited about running the Phoenix um, next year, 2021 MLF Big Five. We start off on uh, Okeechobee. And then I think we go to uh, Smith Lake, Murray. And we go to Eufaula. D.C., Potomac River, mm-hmm. and St. Lawrence River in July. And then if I – anyone that places in the top four of each one of the MLF Big Five events gets an invite to fish the next BBT. And guess where the BBT is after the St. La- Lawrence MLF Big Five tournament? I'm guessing it's Lake Erie. Lake St. Clair. No. So that I'm excited about. Um, and, you know, my sponsors, uh, Trickstep, he, he makes the wedge post uh, boarding assist ladder. If you're not using that product, it, even if you are in good physical shape, I'm in good physical shape. Uh, but uh, I, once I started using that, I use it all the time. He makes a great product. He's got a new product he's going to be releasing here probably in January, February. It's called the Trick Mount, which is a uh, – for your bow or your boat, you can mount a single graph or dual mounts, and it's a fantastic product. You'll be seeing that coming out too. Dual Realis, Sims, Sunline, uh, 
think I've got a deal worked out with Daiwa, so I'm excited about that too. We look forward to uh, to following you in 2021, and I just want to uh, thank you again for sharing this uh, this information. And I can see your passion and and you know just what what makes you a successful angler. And I love this conversation. I really appreciate it. Hey, as did I. Uh, hey, it's finally nice to meet you. I don't think we actually talked face to face before. We haven't. No. Well, we'll have to hook up on the water. Come up to St. Clair. Well, hey, guys, don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Small Mouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Small Mouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.